reporter for CMAJ News. Nearly 800,000 migrants from Africa and the Middle East have made the perilous journey across the Mediterranean Sea to Europe this year. Most are fleeing the ongoing war in Syria. Many suffer from untreated injuries and medical conditions, and more than 3,000 have died or gone missing at sea. Alberta doctor Simon Bryant has been at the front lines of this crisis. He served as one of two physicians on board a Mediterranean search and rescue ship operated by humanitarian group Médecins Sans Frontières. Here's how Dr. Bryant described a typical day on board the MY Phoenix. The rhythm of the project was um, three weeks at sea, you're on, on the Phoenix, and then a week off. Within those three weeks, we would go to the international waters off Libya and intercept or rescue people on these either inflatable dinghies or wooden boats, assess them, provide what care we could, what was needed, and um, transport them to, to Italy. We would do that process, that voyage, within the three weeks several times. So when you would come up to one of these boats, what would that look like? One of the medical team would be on the first rescue boat to approach the vessel, and always approaching from the stern so that people don't go to one side or the other and capsize things, and then start taking them off carefully. Women and children, sick people first, if possible. Sometimes they're so crowded, you just need to get people off to make space. So the types of cases that you were seeing, did it run the gamut from pregnancies Oof, to fevers? Uh, okay, or so for CMAJ, it can be medical. So we did uh, three evacuations involving helicopters from the Phoenix. We had one case of a young man with testicular torsion. Another astonishing case to me, absolutely astonishing, was a woman who had been on hemodialysis twice a week for three years in Tripoli and actually ended up on our boat uh, not having had any treatments for three weeks and consequently um, was really ill. A third evacuation case was uh, you know, severe carbon monoxide poisoning. A gentleman that was breathing but completely unconscious on board a wooden boat where there were 52 others dead. Those were sort of the extreme medical cases. Um, many, many other examples of the late consequences of injuries that went untreated because many of these refugees have had journeys over years or at least months and sustained injuries, broken bones, poorly healed, things like that. One fellow comes to mind, he had a knee sort of frozen at 90 degrees, and he clearly couldn't walk. Extraordinary man, because every time I'd give him the thumbs up, he'd return it with a beaming smile. And uh, he first told me that this has all happened in a, a soccer injury. And then, of course, as uh, he understood that he's safe, he then told a story about uh, the truck accident in which 23 others died, um, and he survived and made it on board the boat. How many voyages did you make over the time? 27. 27 rescues. And and some of those might have involved one or two boats. How many people would be involved? In terms of the people we'd yeah, rescue, yes. We've had a, we had up to 434 uh, at once on the ship, which is terribly crowded. In the five, six months we were at sea, or in operation, uh, 6,985 people. 108 less than five years of age. Who were these people? How would you describe these people? They're people precisely like you and I, with the exception that they're in this situation of great um, personal danger or uncertainty or lack of human rights, which is worsening. That's the thumbnail sketch of why they leave. Who they are, few people come to mind. Uh, one was a nurse from Eritrea, and I asked her, like, why are you here on this boat? And she, she assured me that there was no safe, legal way for her to apply to leave Eritrea without risk to herself and her family. 
And in one instance, we encountered a person, for example, who'd worked as an MSF driver showing up uh, on, on a boat in the Mediterranean. Again, you or I in that situation would behave that way. We would want to leave. How do you respond to concerns that helping people make it to Italy or helping people make it across mm. the Mediterranean, that it's going to encourage more people to come? I think it'd be naive to deny that. There's a so-called pull factor. You can hear it from migrants themselves. They've been told, you know, go in that direction. You'll be met by large ships and taken to Europe. You know. And there's there's some evidence that the, the boats are increasingly crowded, increasingly unseaworthy. But at the same time, that pull factor, which I don't deny, is just irrelevant relative to the push factors of the extreme and uh, deteriorating situations that these people are trying to leave. And in some cases, the journey just gets worse and worse and worse. Crossing the Sahara, suffering sexual abuse, extortion along the way, and then they finally make the beach and are not allowed to not get on the boat. People uh, would sometimes say, when I saw the boat, I didn't want to get on, but I really had no choice. It was get on or be shot. I did, uh, in fact, sew up chest wounds from a robbery attempt as people were boarding uh, the beach. And, and so then people would find themselves on these boats, and worst cases, the pump clogs up, and it's obviously sinking, or there's a significant exhaust leak down below deck, and people are dying from carbon monoxide, but there's nowhere to go. They cannot get up, and they just die in place. When you think back about the situation that you encountered in those boats, is there a missing link? between what's actually going on and how it's being represented or what you wish people understood about that situation? This is a historic event. People, I don't think, quite understand that it's not a local, you know, sort of Middle Eastern European event. This is a global historic event. This is not uh, the end of it. It's not the middle of it. It's the beginning of it. And that also was brought home a couple of days ago when I, I saw the figure that you know 200,000 people had made the Mediterranean crossing in the eastern Mediterranean, Turkey to Greece, in the previous month, which is just about more than made the crossing in all of 2014. What would you call your colleagues, Canadian doctors, to do? You know, since coming back to Canada, I've been extremely impressed by the number of instances of people simply getting together in groups to sponsor migrants. It's as if the, you know, people are taking that responsibility and, and power onto themselves. That's one thing. And, and medically, I mean, physicians are also uh, community leaders. So another is just, you know, lobbying our representatives to support and engage in humanitarian relief for this crisis. The response hasn't been adequate so far. So, you know, people are out in the cold in fields in Southern Europe. How would you describe the change that happened in you, your own personal challenges during this trip? It's been an, an, an at times intense experience emotionally, not, not negatively, but just intense. Um, just a great flow of humanity witnessing it. And uh, it's humanizing. You know, not the same person as when I left. It's just that at this point I feel like you know, people matter more than any, anything else. And it's hard to draw those lines and say, well, those people are over there and we're here. It's just, um, we're doctors without borders. You know? So <laughs> you don't start thinking of people uh, as Canadians or Eritreans or Somalians. They're just people. And 
those over there in that situation need a lot of help, and we're in a position to offer it.